us through it. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman had said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans came from the town, believed in him because 
of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Gracious and almighty, loving Heavenly Father, we do worship you and praise you this morning for your glorious gospel. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, you came not for righteous, but for the unrighteous, not for those who see no need of you, but those who are desperate for you. We thank you that you have revealed to us our great need for you by your Spirit. You have opened our eyes. And we ask that this morning you would open our eyes again to see Christ our Savior anew and afresh. That we would be able to understand again just how wonderful and how marvelous this gospel is. Grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. In the gospels, Jesus makes very clear his mission in coming to earth. Jesus says in or it's recorded in Luke's gospel that I have come to seek and to save the lost. In G, in John's gospel Jesus is recorded as saying I have not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus said that I have come to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what was the will of the Father in heaven for sending Jesus? He sent Jesus that Jesus might become like his brothers in every way, a great high priest, the author of Hebrews tells us, that he might make propitiation for our sin, that he might bear the wrath of God on our behalf. That is why Jesus has come. And in our text this morning, we encounter Christ on mission to save. We encounter, we encounter Christ's compassion for a thirsty soul who is an outcast. We meet a woman who is thirsty, but she doesn't really know what she's thirsty for. Not in the ultimate sense anyway. She's a woman who is bankrupt spiritually. She is dead spiritually and separated from God. She's just like the rest of us, the way we come into this world. Not seeking after God, but running as hard and as fast as we can away from the living God. 
I believe it was Thomas Aquinas who remarked that every person is thirsty in their soul. But we seek to fill our thirsts with the good gifts that God's given us in this earth, but not with God himself. We come into this world enemies and separated from God. We come into this world thirsty. And this woman has tried to satisfy her thirst by going to broken cisterns that hold no water. I love St. Augustine's words when he says that thou hast made us for thyself and we will never find, our hearts will never find rest until they rest in thee. This certainly applies to this woman, this Samaritan woman. She attempts to find life and her attempts have left her isolated and alone, caught in a spiritual wasteland. I wonder how many of us are like this woman this morning. How many of us this morning are trying to satisfy our spiritual thirst by going to broken cisterns that hold no water. We run to entertainment, to pleasure, to materialism, to power, to food, to alcohol, to relationships. We bounce back and forth in search of what only Christ can give. It's a terrible thing to see unregenerate man seek for hope and for life in every place other than God. But it's even a greater tragedy when you and I as believers fall into that same trap. The prophet Jeremiah once wrote, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. In this text, we learn this woman's deepest need, and it's our deepest need too. She is like the rest of us. She is dead and under the wrath of God, spiritually dead. She needs Jesus to do for her what only Jesus can do. Raise her from death unto life. And Jesus is seeking to make this woman one of his very own. He is on divine assignment from his Father to rescue her from a life of sin and give her the gift of eternal life. Now there's several things I want us to recognize in this passage. That when Jesus came to rescue and to seek and to save the lost, he did not let anything stand in his way of fulfilling his mission. He came for a purpose. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And he refused to allow anything to keep him from accomplishing his mission and to be obedient to the Father. He would not allow the social bigotry and the racism of his day to stand in the way of going and meeting this woman. We are told that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus tells his disciples, boys, pack up your things. I've got business to attend to in Galilee. 
Galilee was in the north, Judea was in the south, and right smack dab in the middle was Samaria. Now the Jews, when traveling from Judea to Galilee or from Galilee back down to the southern region of Judea, would do anything they needed to to avoid Samaritans. They would take a long detour around Samaria. They would take the Transjordan just to avoid Samaritans and not have to deal with them. Who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans come from captivity when Assyria invaded Israel in 722 B.C. And those that were left in Israel intermarried with other nations that came in to their territory. And so the Jews viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds, and that's a loaded term, I know, but they were just that. They were of a mixed race, and they did not get along. You'll remember that when Ezra and Nehemiah write about the Jews wanting to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans wanted to help. And the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans and refused to allow the Samaritans to help. And so there was a lot of animosity and racism against the Samaritans from the Jews. But I love how Jesus deals with the hearts of his disciples. John tells us that Jesus needed no one to explain what was in man, for he knew what was in the heart of man. John says he needed no one to testify about man because he knew the heart of man. And so picture this as Jesus is walking towards Galilee, his disciples following him. Jesus walks right past the detour. And if you're one of the disciples, you realize that Jesus is headed for Sychar, the heart of half-breed country, and your blood begins to run hot. No self-respecting Jew, no rabbi would ever enter into Samaria. Doesn't Jesus know that these people aren't worth a bucket of warm spit? But Jesus is on mission. And he refuses to allow the racism of his day to keep him from showing compassion to a thirsty woman. So Jesus comes to the well of Jacob and he sits at the well and John tells us he sits because he's tired. He's fully man, yet fully God. What a, what a marvelous statement John makes here. That God, who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, has to sit at the well because He's tired, and He's weary, and He's thirsty. He's made like us in every way. He is put on flesh. He is the visible image of the invisible God, yet He is tired. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel, God with us, sits at the well. And I love what Jesus does next. He tells his disciples, which is not uncommon, it was the disciples' job to make sure Jesus had food to eat and water to drink. He sends them into the city to buy food. Now, can you imagine that? Here, the disciples want nothing to do with the Samaritans. And now they're going to have to go into the city and interact with those they want nothing to do with. And so they go into the city to buy food. And Jesus sits at the well and he waits. I thank him for that. I'm grateful that we serve a Savior that's willing to wait upon sinners. Not only is he willing to wait, but he actively pursues us in our sin, in our brokenness, and in our shame. Our shame, our sinfulness, our brokenness does not intimidate Christ, our Savior. And we're given two different perspectives at this point. First, we're given the divine perspective. Jesus is at the well, and he knows exactly why he's there. He's on divine assignment from his Father to reach a thirsty woman and to present to her eternal life and to grant to her, rather, eternal life. And then we're given the human perspective. This woman, the woman's perspective. And John tells us it's about the sixth hour of the day. Now, the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., so it's 12 noon, the hottest part of the day. And the woman decides to come out. But let's use our imaginations for just a moment. Go with me, like one black preacher, Baptist preacher said, use your sanctified imagination for just a moment. Use your sanctified imagination for just a moment with me. Can you imagine how this woman's day began? I imagine it began the same way it always began. With her waking up with a pit in her stomach, a knot in her throat, lying beside a man who was not her husband, thinking, ah, another day. Why can't I just disappear? Why can't I just go my own way and not have to deal with the shame and the pain of my life? She gets up like she does every morning and she prepares for the day and she puts on her invisible armor. You know the armor I'm talking about. If you've ever had a secret you've wanted to keep, you know the armor I'm talking about. The armor of self-protection. Then she puts on her mask. Her mask that dares anyone to look at her or speak to her. The mask of stoicism. The mask that hides the pain and the shame that her life has brought about. She takes her water pots and she sets out for the day. 
And as she walks through the town, she hears the whispers and the comments of the townspeople. Here she comes. Look at that tramp. Hot tears fill her eyes, but she dares not shed one tear. She dares not allow the townspeople to see that their darts of accusation and criticism have pierced her invisible armor once again. She thinks, let me just get to the well, then I'll be alone. I'll be alone with my thoughts. I'll be alone in my shame. See, this woman had been married five times, and the man she was living with now was not her husband. Sin had promised her far more than it ever delivered, and it cost her far more than she thought she'd ever have to pay. It cost her self-respect. It cost her friendships. It cost her communion and intimacy with the other women in the village. It had left her isolated and alone. And by the way, that's where the enemy wants us. He wants us isolated and alone, locked down in our shame, locked down in our sin. But friends, that's where Jesus does his best work. <laughs> Jesus does his best work in our lives in the valley of despair, in the valley of difficulty and of shame. She's not expecting to see anyone that day. And as she approaches the well, she sees Jesus sitting at the well. And I imagine she thinks to herself, great, what is he going to want from me? Because men always wanted something from her. But Jesus didn't want anything from her. He wanted to give her something that only he could give. As she approaches the well, Jesus does the unthinkable. He speaks to her and says, Will you give me a drink? Or give me a drink. He, bro he breaks Jewish tradition and law here because not only is he risking becoming uh, ostracized by his fellow Jews for speaking to a Samaritan, but he's risking becoming ceremonially unclean by drinking from her cup. And I don't know if this woman is being facetious or not. It's hard to tell from the text, but I think she is being sarcastic, honestly. Mark may have a different opinion. You can ask him after the service, but I think she's being facetious. I think she wants to have a little fun at Jesus' expense. Why not? People have made fun of her. People have poked fun of her. She's been the butt of jokes. Why not now that she has the upper hand? How is it that you, a Jew, not only a Jew, but a man, have to humble yourself and ask a drink of water from a Samaritan, but not just any Samaritan, a woman, someone who is lower in class than you are. How embarrassing this must be for you. But Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He goes right to the heart of the issue. 
He says, if you knew the gift of God and the one who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked for, for a, a drink of him, and he would have given you living water. Living water that would quench your deepest thirst, that would become springs of living water within you. This woman is thinking naturally. I love that this story is in chapter 4 because you remember the story in chapter 3. Jesus is dealing with Nicodemus. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is thinking naturally, how can I re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? And this woman is thinking naturally. Where is this water that you ha have access to? You don't even have a bucket. You don't have a cup. This well of our father Jacob's is at least 100 feet deep. How are you going to draw water from this well? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes, he is greater than Jacob. Jesus says, all those who drink of this water will never thirst again. The woman says, give me this water so that I don't have to return to this well. Why did she not want to return to the well? She didn't want to return to the well because she didn't want to be reminded of her sin and of her shame and of her loneliness. She didn't want to have to walk through the town square and hear the whispers of the people ridiculing her for her past. She's thinking naturally. The woman says, the woman's, sorry, the woman says, give me this drink, this water, and Jesus says, go call your husband to come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you are living with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now this woman has spunk. She doesn't miss a beat. She says, oh, sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. I think what she's saying is, if you really think I'm going to talk to you about the painful history of my past, you have another thing coming. Let's have a theological discussion. She diverts the conversation away from herself. She's excellent at doing it. She's done it a hundred times before. She diverts the conversation away to a theological discussion. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. You see what Jesus is saying. 
that God the Father is seeking true worshipers. Jesus is not saying that we as fallen human beings are seeking to worship God in the way that is pleasing to the Father, but the Father is seeking after those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He says to this woman, you don't understand, you're ignorant of who you're trying to worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But I'm so thankful this morning that Jesus had to go through Samaria, that he had to come to this woman because he was on divine assignment. And God is not just the God of the Jews, but Jesus is coming to build a family from every tribe, nation, and tongue on earth. And now in the family of God, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but only one holy race. What is this worship that Jesus is speaking of? Jesus says that those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. What does it look like to worship in spirit? It is from the depths of our being that we offer praises unto God. Brothers and sisters, if all we do is come to church and go through the motions... God is not satisfied or pleased with that. For it is written in the Scriptures that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. To worship God in spirit is to have our hearts and our minds engaged in the truth of who God is and the truth of His Word. And Jesus is saying, if you are going to worship God, you must worship in spirit and in truth. Like Mary worshiped, my soul magnifies the Lord, and I rejoice in God my Savior. That is to worship God in spirit and in truth. To worship God in spirit and in truth is to come through the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this woman is stopped dead in her tracks at this response, and she says, I know when Messiah comes... He will re reveal all things. And Jesus isn't quick to reveal his identity in the Gospels, but he does to the Samaritan woman. He says to her, the one who speaks to you right now, I am he. I am that I am. I am before Jacob. I am before Abraham. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the one who can satisfy your thirst. I am the one who can take away your shame, your guilt, and your sin. And this woman immediately drops her pots. She doesn't just drop her pots, but she drops her guilt and shame. And how can I say she drops her guilt and shame? Because she runs to those who have shamed her. She runs to the city and says, Come and see a man who told me all that I had ever done. And he loved me. Could this be the Messiah? The disciples come back from the city and see Jesus talking to this woman. And I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking. Have we hitched our star? Or have we hitched our wagon to the wrong star? 
How could Jesus be talking not only to a Samaritan, but to a woman? And Jesus goes on to explain to them that the fields are white unto harvest, that he's not come just for the Jew, but for the Gentile alike. He's come for all of us who are thirsty this morning. And as I wrap up in application, I've got to ask this morning, are you here and are you like this Samaritan woman? Are you thirsty in your soul? Then come drink of the living water, the water that only Christ can give. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do worship you and praise you for this glorious gospel which you've given to us. This gospel which quenches our deepest thirst. Lord Jesus, you have promised that you will feed us and that we will drink from the fountain of life and we will never thirst again and you will wipe every tear from our eye. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this promise. And I pray for those that are here this morning that do not, maybe they do not know you, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would do for them what you did for this woman, that you would grant them eternal life. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, that you would renew the joy within us of worship and of praise, and that we would offer the sacrifice of praise, and that our worship would come from deep within our spirit, and it would be offered in spirit and in truth, that we would stand in all of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.